Welcome, guys. This is a historic day because this is episode number one of the Fitball Podcast with Coach Cam. And I don't know if that name's going to stick. That might be an absolute rubbish, pathetic, weak name. But for now, it sticks. Se queda, for those who speak Spanish. And potentially in the future, I'm going to change it up. If I have some inspiration and I have a better name that comes to mind, I may switch it up. But for now, it is the Fitball Podcast with Cam, Coach Cam, Your Majesty, Your Highness, uh, whatever, whatever floats your boat, you know. As long as it has some sort of esteem attached to it, I'm, I'm generally in favor of it. Because my ego likes that. No, I'm just joking. I'm pretty. I'm a pretty humble guy. But anyways, uh, this is the Fitball Podcast. We're going to be speaking about everything from mindset to football training to diet to who is the best player in the world and why and everything else in between. But today, today I'm going to get a little bit self-indulgent because I'm going to speak about myself, yours truly. And that's just about it. I'm going to tell you my story, where I came from, how I got to doing what I'm doing. And you know what? You may not be interested in the slightest to listen to this. And that's totally fine. Because guess what? You can do whatever you want. But this is going to be a podcast that's released once a week. I haven't decided which day yet. This is not a high production value. You may hear some dinging and donging in the background and... You may hear a vacuum. You may hear a vacuum. I don't have one of those crazy microphones that you see on the Joe Rogan experience. I do have a mic. It's attached to my iPhone, which is filming this. Because guess what? I get involved. I get involved, okay? But today I'm going to be self-indulgent and I'm going to speak about myself. One thing that I think we can totally agree with is the lighting is fantastic. The lighting is top-notch in here. So that's one check. Count your wins. That's my win. The lighting is top-notch. So without further ado, we're going to get into my story. We're going to start from the beginning, okay? When my mom met my dad at a bar in North Carolina. No, I'm just joking. We're not going to go that far back, okay? I'm just being a bit silly. We're going to start with... Uh, with where I grew up, okay? Here we go. Everyone likes a story, right? So I, my name's Cameron Jaff, my full name. I was born in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, which is where I happen to be at this very moment. And parents, still together, have a very healthy, happy relationship. Spot on, I'm very lucky. I count my wins. I know what I got. And my dad, because of his work, we moved around a bit, especially in the formative years of my life. So when I was younger, we lived in Houston, we lived in uh, Turkey, and then eventually we settled in Dubai where we lived for like 20 plus years. I lived there for about 13 and then I moved to the US, did my college studies. Anyway, I'm going too far into the story. I'm just giving you like an overview. I wanna speak more about me and how football or soccer or whatever you calls, call it, ah, plays into the mix. So 
When I was about four or five, we were living in Houston and my father was a collegiate player. He played at a school in North Carolina and my dad is Iraqi, in case you wanna know. He's Iraqi American at this point. He's Kurdish, if you guys know where that is. It's not Kazakhstan. Cue the Borat uh, joke. Very nice. But anyways, uh, He's Iraqi Kurdish. My mom is American, purebred American. And she's from the South. My dad played college and he was trying to get me into the game. So I remember my first memory playing the sport when I was, I was about four or five and it was a sultry, humid uh, Houston morning. My dad, I think maybe he had a pickup game or, or something and he took me out to play and I just remember being absolutely miserable. I was crying, I was, uh, it was hot, it was humid. There was mosquitoes, I hated it. I hated it. And I was an, an athletic child, I loved sports. I was obsessed with Michael Jordan, I was obsessed with the Bulls, and I loved basketball. But the first time I played soccer, it was not for me, I hated it. I cried, my dad was disappointed because he was trying to get his son into a sport that he liked and I just didn't like it. It was all about basketball, man. Uh, I used to get the Jordans. Like I think at that time it was like the Jordan fours or the fives or whatever. And I was a young kid. I was I was obsessed and waiting for the next Jordan to be launched, which is pretty crazy to think. But because of his work, we moved from Houston to Dubai. So when you change environments, all of a sudden, like now it wasn't basketball and football and baseball that were all the rage, but because the rest of the world idolizes and, and obsesses about football, soccer, that's what most kids were doing. That's what most kids were into. And I went to an, an American school in Dubai called the American School of Dubai. And they had these, I was what, four, five, six at the time. They had these rec leagues, it's called ASPA, ASPA, sports and every season they would have like a month of like a different sport so all the kids would pretty much do one sport and the first sport happened to be soccer so as a young kid i if i if my parents took me to a doctor these days they would 100 percent diagnose me with adhd i couldn't sit still my dad had to chase me around the house in order to feed me and even till this day like I, I like to be moving, I like to be up, I like to be walking. But my parents needed to offload all this like overbearing energy that I had. So they're like, look, we don't care if this kid didn't like soccer when he tried it in Houston. We're getting him involved in it in this setup. And so that got me involved. And um, my memory of that was I was an absolute tank. Okay, that, that's a little bit hyperbolic, but I remember like I was just running circles around kids with the ball because I had so much energy and I was like a standout kid. And I remember that was the first moment that I was like, oh, you know, that sport's actually not that bad. I actually kind of like that sport. And that was when I started to kind of come around to it. So I have notes here because there's a lot of details here. Uh, so what happened was my sister, I have two sisters, but at the time I only had one sister because my younger sister didn't come for a, a little bit after that. But my older sister made some friends and her, one of her friend's younger brothers who was older than me, so you might want to write that down because it's a little bit, it's a little bit complicated. 
he, um, we became friends. So he was older than me and he played soccer and a bunch of guys in his year, they had a team and they're like, why don't you come join our team? So we created a team. We were called the Furious Falcons and pretty much from that point onwards, from the time I was young, I was always playing. We played tournaments. Uh, and I was always playing in one or two age brackets above, above my age. So I was always playing with bigger players. And I don't think it was like a strategy that my parents were like, yeah, he needs to go play with older, bigger players. But it was just by default. I became friends with this guy and then we started playing together and we had a pretty good team. We were playing against, there's a big expat community in Dubai, a lot of Brits in particular. There's not, not a lot of Americans there. There are a fair share, and now the city has become much more cosmopolitan. But when I moved there in 1996, it was, it was a desert with like two buildings. There was no one there. But there were a lot of Brits there, a lot of British schools. So a lot of the kids we were playing against were, were British kids. Some kids who were coming from academies in the UK. I remember some of the kids that we played against were like, like our jaws dropped to the floor because of the standard that they were, that they were playing at was, was phenomenal. But we had a good team and we won some tournaments. And I remember at the time, obviously this was in the late, mid to late nineties, they would take a photo of our team and they would publish us in the newspaper. And that was like a huge deal. So I remember those days very fondly um, playing with these guys. Some of them are still some of my closest friends to, these, to, to this day. And um, that was like my introduction into the sport. And it wasn't, it wasn't that I was only playing soccer. I was still playing basketball. I was still playing baseball. I was an athletic kid to a certain degree. I was fast. I was uh, energetic. I wasn't good with my hands. It became very apparent to me as I was getting older. Like, I just wasn't very good with my hands. I don't know what it is. You can call it talent. Uh, I was really good with my feet, but I, I, was, I was so eager to play baseball. My cousins in the U.S., they all played baseball, and, and I just wanted to play baseball. And so I, 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 they had a little league in Dubai, and I kept going and playing, and I just sucked at baseball. I was no good. I couldn't throw the ball straight to save my life. I couldn't hit the ball. I just didn't have very good hand-eye coordination. And I kept like trying to play baseball, trying to make it happen for myself. And then I got to a point where I just, I guess I got demoralized with it. Baseball was not happening and I was playing soccer and I was just getting better and better and better at soccer. Uh, and then once I got to, the, to 12 years old, we had tryouts for the junior varsity team. And it's super competitive, like our school was maybe over a thousand kids. And there was like a hundred kids who tried out for 20, 20 spots on the team. And you know, the seventh grade is the youngest grade to try out for the JV. I think it went from seventh grade to 10th grade. So it was really competitive. And I was the only seventh grader who made the team. And not only that, but I, I started most games. And when this happened, that's when I realized, okay, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good at this sport or I'm better than those around me, my peers. And pretty much from that point onwards, the confidence that that instilled in me meant that I forgot about every other sport. I literally didn't care about anything else anymore.
because now I had this thing that was becoming rooted in my identity. Like, yeah, before it was something that I had fun with and, and, and I played with my friends, but but now it's like I made the team. I was the only seventh grader who made the team. Not only did I make the team, but I'm starting most of the games. And, um, and so, yeah, that's when I really started to build confidence. And prior to that, like, I... I hung out with a lot of kids in my grade, but I also hung out with a lot of older kids. And I guess what led up to that is, I remember we used to have these sleepovers where we would play like World Cup. We would play soccer games for like five hours straight. Like literally to the point I remember my feet were bleeding. And it was just, it was so much fun. We would go into the house and there was like 12 of us. I don't know, this guy's mom must have been uh, we must have driven her crazy because literally he would have sleepovers with like 10 kids. I remember these, a few in particular, and we would go inside and like have juice and watch a movie and all I'd want to do is get back out there and, and, and play soccer. That's all I wanted to do. So I guess that was the foundation to building, I guess, the talent that I had, which I didn't even know that it was something that I was building. I was just having fun and playing sports and soccer happened to be one that I liked. I didn't even really watch the sport on TV. Uh, up until I was like 13. But when I had that pivotal moment when I was in seventh grade and I made the team, that's when it changed everything for me. And I started to become known as, oh, Cam, like he's the soccer guy. He's, he's pretty good at soccer. And through my time uh, playing at, we, we didn't have club teams at the time. Dubai was small back then. They have club teams now, they have more opportunities now, but back then none of that existed. But our team, we had, um, I, I made the team every single year that I played. And we, so I was the only 10th grader as well to make the varsity team. And I'm not trying to toot my own horn. I'm just telling you my background, my story, okay? So if it sounds self-congratulatory, I apologize. I'm literally just telling you my story. These are facts. You can ask people, okay? You can ask people that know me. <laughs> so five years played on on the team at American School of Dubai and we won the championship three years of five and my final year and I think I won the MVP three times of five as well the my last year uh, our team went undefeated not only did we go undefeated we won every single game so we played in this tournament called EMAC which stands for Eastern Mediterranean Athletic Conference I believe it no longer exists but we were competing we would have like the regular season where we would compete with teams in Dubai. So other American schools or other international schools. And then at the end of the season, we would have a, like a massive tournament with other American schools from the region, from Cairo to Kuwait to Oman. Um, even we randomly had like Athens. I don't know how they got into our conference. Uh, like some European teams sometimes were there. It was strange, but we it was competitive. It wasn't a walk in the park and we won three of the five years last year again we were we won every single game so i remember um my second to last year when i was playing and this was like a this was a big moment for me we were playing a team from kuwait and they were really good and it was a tournament and i played well in the tournament and i remember we were sitting with the team and there were some like talks about how one of the coaches from this team from kuwait was a, he was a scout for a, an Italian club, a Serie A club or Serie B, I can't remember which. 
but he was a scout and uh, everyone kind of poo-pooed it we didn't take much note of it and I remember we, we we had a game and we had a few games and I was just sitting there and this guy the coach of the team comes up to me and he's like hey do you mind if I speak to you for a second I was like uh okay sure like I didn't know what was going on and he's like um he's like I don't know if you know who I am what I do but I'm I, I, he was he was Greek this guy he's like I'm a scout for this team in Italy it's called they're called Chivo Verona and um he's like you're you know you're you are your team you're the reason why your team clicks you're one of the best players I've ever seen out here in this region. And I want to get you in on a trial uh, this coming summer to the club. And so this was like, wow, this was really heavy. Uh, I remember hearing this and thinking, firstly, I didn't care about the tournament anymore. And this year, this was my second to last year. We actually lost, we came second, but when I heard this guy talk to me, I literally didn't care anymore. I stopped caring about the tournament because I was like, this is it. My dream is coming true. It's all happening. The stars are aligning. This is incredible. This is amazing. And I stopped caring. And that was one of the biggest mistakes that I made because I just kind of assumed that I made it at that point, which was so stupid because to, to make a long story short, actually nothing even came of it. He, uh, like we were emailing each other back and forth, back and forth. And then eventually the guy just kind of ghosted on me. And then the next year we had another tournament, which we won. And I believe we beat his team, the, the, the scout, the coach's team. And he came up to me before the tournament. He's like, look, I just couldn't convince these guys to, to like, cause they have to finance you to come. You, they have to pay for you meals, accommodation, everything. He's like, they just, they didn't have footage of you. They didn't know anything about you. And they just weren't willing to take the risk to, to bring you in so he's like i'm sorry i really pushed for you but it, it just it didn't it didn't happen he's like keep doing what you're doing you're a phenomenal player keep your head up and good things will, ha will happen for you so yeah that was that was a bummer that was a kind of exciting phase of my life for like a year i thought this all this this whole thing was going to happen but there's a major learning in there for me which was just because you get an opportunity, don't hey, don't think that you've uh, that you've achieved anything because you haven't. That's where you hear this all the time, but that's where the hard work begins. And I literally stopped caring about the tournament that we we were in. I was like, yeah, who cares? I'm going for a trial with an with a Serie A club. Who gives a shit about this tournament? Excuse my swearing. And it never materialized. So I learned that from the experience. Uh, but it wasn't it wasn't all for nothing. I was going through all these different summer camps. I went to one at Coastal Carolina, which is in Myrtle Beach. I went to Georgetown. I went to UNC Chapel Hill. I kept going to all these different um, summer camps at these universities because I was trying to get recruited to play in college. And I was networking with coaches and created like a highlight reel for myself, which I completely did incorrectly. Like I, my video, my highlight videos were crap. It was my mom filming it and like half the time she was like talking with her friends and not even filming me correctly. It was, it was not really well done, but they saw my footage a lot of the time and they're like, yeah, this is crap. We can't, we have nothing to go off of based on this footage. So I had to rely heavily on these summer camps and it was a real eye-awakening experience because I, I realized 
so many of my shortcomings going to these camps. Like I, I definitely had, I was technically very good. I think I was technically better than a lot of the players, but I had an inability to, to play the physical game because I'm quite a skinny guy and I was really skinny back then. I wasn't very physical. And also growing up in Dubai because it's hot like nine months of the year, we played a lot of indoor small sided. So I was great in small spaces. I was technically very good on the ball, but I didn't have a big game. I always say it's been one of my biggest weaknesses. I didn't have a big game and I played much, very much in, in small spaces. And I didn't know how to, like on the 11 side big field, I had a lot of shortcomings. But, you know, I, I had some quality moments. Like I remember I got chosen, like every camp that I went to, they would choose like, a group of elite players and you would play against the college team like the you would play against like the, their freshman team because they'd have some players that come out and i remember i always got chosen for the teams that play uh against the top team so i was definitely a standout player but i wasn't it wasn't at the point where i had some of these d1 coaches like we need to get this guy into our program but through enough finagling i managed to get recruited to play at uh, a division three school called Tufts University, which now is one of the best D3 schools in the country. They're, they've won the championship, I believe three times in the last how many years. Um, and they don't, they don't necessarily recruit you in terms of giving you scholarship money. You have to get in based on academic merit, which I did because I was an academically strong student, but they did then see my profile and my videos and my, my, my stats and my success. And then they recruited me for the team. So I was essentially recruited for the, for the team to come in, uh, which was interesting. They had a coach that was there. I don't want to mention his name, but he was there for maybe 20 years. And for the first time in my life, this coach, he absolutely ruined my perception of the game. He ruined it. And not just for me, but for a lot of players on the team. Firstly, my first season, you have to understand where I'm coming from. I'm, I'm coming from sunny Dubai, amazing weather. And then I'm going to New England where the sun goes down at 3.30 in December and it's freezing and it's snowing in some games. And I'm in a new culture and new friends, like new country, like everything. As far as I'm concerned, although I'm an American by passport, the US was a foreign country to me. So I'm having to deal with all that and, and I'm on the team and my first season, I just get all these injuries, these injuries. I, I remember I had two injuries. I had this like high ankle sprain that I just kept trying to play through the entire season and I just couldn't do it. And on top of that, the coach was just, he was, he didn't care. He didn't communicate. He didn't see your value in the team. Even if you did something good in training, he already had his players selected who were generally juniors and seniors. And he literally made me question my love for the game. Something that I was obsessed with my entire life up until that point. This guy made me question it. Not only that, he made me hate it. At the end of our first of my first season there, they had such a bad season. I think our we lost, we won like one game or two games. I didn't want to play the sport ever again after my first season there. The adjustment was tough. The like this was a, a major, major setback for me. It was so bad that I needed to find some confidence in myself as as an athlete 
that the track and field coach at Tufts saw my, I was, a, I was a pretty good track athlete as well, saw my track timings. If you Google my name, you can see some of my photos running track. I hated track. <laughs> I do not like track and field. I wanted to be playing a sport with a ball and teammates. Like that's what I wanted to do. I didn't want to be running around the track. But the coach of the track team saw my times and coming off of a horrible season with the team, he somehow convinced me after I finished high school track, I was like, I'm never doing track and field again. He somehow convinced me to go and, and, and uh, try out for the track and field team, which I think lasted about a month. And then I'm like, hey, I'm not doing this anymore. I don't like track. I don't, know, I don't know how you convinced me to come here, but I'm not doing it. Lo and behold, the coach of 20 years at Tufts gets the sack. He got fired, which was one of the biggest blessings. And coincidentally, they bring in a guy who I knew from one of my, one of my camps that I went to. Uh, his name is Josh Shapiro. I don't know why I'm not mentioning anyone's names, but I'll mention his name. His name was Josh Shapiro and he came in and, and he totally turned things around. He was communicative. He was, he was a good coach. He really was. And he saw a lot of potential in me. He, he was, um, I wasn't playing to my highest potential. I was doing a lot of things wrong still. And a lot of it was because I didn't have the right mindsets in place. I was, I had a fixed mindset. I was set in my ways. I was like, look, this is what I'm good at and that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna be a dribbler. I'm gonna be a short passer. I don't need to work on my long game. I don't need to work on my confidence because in some games I would come in and I would just be like, I would have no confidence. Or I wouldn't be invigorated to really get involved and fight for the team. And to be honest with you, during that season and the season before, I was like smoking weed and drinking and partying and I was like smoking cigarettes during during the season if that's any indication of how serious I took it um then then you should know that yeah I I wasn't I was no longer on that path anymore I had the skill I had the talent but I couldn't cope with the situation I just couldn't and there were days where we would go into practice and I was so excited. I still had that boyhood excitement to go in and train and I trained phenomenally. And, but when the games came and, and oh, I have Saturday, I have to go now, we have to go to New Hampshire and I have to stay in on Friday night. It's like, no, I don't wanna do that. I wanna go drink and party and be with my friends. And it was all because of my mindset. I, I was, I just didn't have the right mindset and that just led me down the wrong path. And it's something that I regret to this day. It really is something that I regret. At the end of that season, we had a much better season, much better. And the coach sat me down uh, and he said to me, he, he sat down each of the players at the end of the season and gave a review. And he, he said to me, he's like, you, can be one of the best players in this entire division and country at the, at, the, at the D3 level. He's like, you have so much talent because there were days in training where I was just a notch above everyone else. It's just true. I was, you know, more aggressive, could finish better, could dribble better, but that didn't translate into games. It just didn't, it didn't translate into games. 
and all of that is mindset and the you know the he told me that you could be one of the best players on the team now after my second year at, on the Tufts team winters winters there i'm like lost i'm like i don't know who i am i have a, like i'm not having good relationships with with any girls or women at my school um like I'm trying to make new friends in college, but I don't know, are these really, like am I really clicking with these people? And one of the worst things, it was a blessing, but it was also a bit of a curse, is some of my closest friends went to school in Boston at different schools. And so I could just go and hang out with them. And I would find myself in a little very comfortable space being with them. And we would just hole up and smoke and blaze and watch movies and eat and and just have a grand old time. but. Essentially, by doing that, what I was doing was I was running away from my problems. I was running away from the fact that I wasn't meeting women and connecting with women. I wasn't meeting and connecting with my friends in my university. We're in this like small town on the outskirts of Boston. It's cold. It's, it's not aesthetically nice. I'm, I'm used to Dubai. Dubai is palm trees and beaches and five-star hotels. And you go from that to a very contrasting environment, which is which is New England. And it was just, I couldn't adapt to it. And so after my sophomore year, I, um, I went on this like crazy few weeks of just binge partying where I was just blacking out and I was drinking so much and like chugging bottles of vodka and, and this and that. And, and like trying to escape reality, trying to like become, meet girls and get confidence and have fun. And Oh, I'm in college, I need to have fun. And what happened was I remember having some drinks and going to, going out with some of my friends. We went to a buddy's place for a pregame. And I remember like feeling a bit weird in my stomach and then I went to the bathroom, I was feeling off. And I'm sitting there, I was sitting to take a pee. I wasn't pooping, <laughs> side note, but sometimes I sit to pee. And I'm sitting there and I, and I look at my hands. By the way, I have, if I was pooping, I would tell you. I have no shame in telling you that. But I was sitting there and I looked at my hands and my hands were swollen, like they were fat. And I was like, what's going on? Like, why are my hands swollen? This doesn't make any sense. And so I, I was feeling weird. I told my friends like, hey guys, I'm, I'm not feeling well. I'm, I'm gonna go home. And so I went home and I go and I start like, I start doing the uh, web MDing and start self-diagnosing myself, which is one of the worst things you can do. And I come to this conclusion because I've been smoking, not a lot, but like cigarettes and all this stuff and, and weed. I came to this conclusion that I had this thing called burger syndrome, which essentially is for it's if you're like an extremely heavy smoker and it restricts your blood flow to your extremities, like to your hands and feet and you, and it can cause swelling and you have to like, you have to get your limbs amputated as a byproduct. So I was like freaking out. Oh my God, I have burger syndrome. I don't know. So it sort of subsided. And then I continued doing my own thing, like drinking and partying. And I remember one night again, I started drinking and now I start having like intense stomach issues and the swelling has come back. It's not my hands, now it's my forearm. 
and I'm having this swelling. This is like the second time it's happened in a few days. So I'm like, what's going on? I'm an extremely anxious person. So I immediately go to the ER. And they like hook me up and they give me some like antihistamines and they're like, ah, I don't know what's going on. So I'm like, okay, fine. They discharge me. A few days later, the exact same thing happens again. And this time it's like more intense, more severe. And so I end up having to go to like a hospital and like, um, like running these tests on me. And as I'm doing this, like I start noticing rashes, this like rash on my legs and rash happening on my arms and this like swelling and this, the abdominal pain is starting to become unbearable. Like I'm curled in my bed some days in the fetal position for hours on end. Like something is wrong. Like I'm really in a, in a bad place. It got so bad where I like had so much pain in my stomach that I got rushed to the ER room like four or five times in a matter of two weeks. And they and um, that's a horrible experience. For those of you who've ever had to deal with the ER, I was in excruciating pain and they just kind of have you waiting in this, this room for like three hours and there's like homeless people. I mean, I saw so many of the craziest things there. My mom had to fly in, my grandmother, like I had, I needed people to look after me. And they ran all these tests. I was going between like five hospitals there in Boston. And very luckily I was in one of the best cities in the world for medical care. And essentially after running all these tests and biopsies, biopsies on me, they came to the conclusion that I had something called Hinoch Schonlein purpura, which essentially is a, um, it's a, it's a pediatric disorder. It's a form of vasculitis. So it's like your immune system starts fighting itself and attacking your, your, your internal, your inter internal organs. That's why I was having um, the abdominal pain, which was the worst symptom. I had swelling there and in my limbs and this rash. And it's, it's generally, it affects children like ages 10 and below in like 90% of cases. In very, very rare circumstances, it affects adults. And it can be life-threatening because you can have kidney malfunction and you need to do dialysis. And it's like, dialysis is not a joke for anyone who knows what dialysis is. So essentially, like, I got really sick from the lifestyle decisions that I made, from drinking too much, from partying too much. I got extremely sick. And... I almost had to drop out of school that semester. I somehow managed to make it work. All the teachers and, and whatever were so accommodating. And I had to get on these like extremely strong steroids. It's called prednisone. I was on that for like six months. And that might have actually been worse than the actual sickness. Because I... It caused me to... When I got sick, I couldn't eat because of the abdominal pain. So I think I lost like 15 pounds in a few weeks. When I started taking this steroid, you get an insane appetite when you take prednisone. I don't know anyone who's ever taken prednisone. They, they give it to, to cancer patients. It's to suppress your immune, your, your overreactive immune system. And I had such an insane appetite. I mean, one story from that is I remember my mom would go to Costco and she would um, buy food. And you have a craving for sweets, for carbohydrates. And she went and she got this massive package of muffins. It was four by four muffins, blueberry muffins. 
in one sitting, I ate 16 muffins. 16, like, full-size, not like the mini ones, but like full-size muffins I ate. I was eating like three meals meals back to back to back. I mean, it was insane. I went from down 15 pounds to up 35 pounds. And for the first time in my life, I was what could be considered marginally overweight. Like just marginally. But the thing is, is like it all goes to your face. The actual symptom is called moon face. So you crave sugars and when you eat them, it all goes to your face. So my face like ballooned up. And obviously that's not, I told you before, I'm someone who's struggling with confidence and women and all this sort of stuff. How do you think that this is going to affect me now? Now that I have this, this face and I have to stop drinking, which is probably a good thing. And not only that, but it's like prednisone causes your hormones to go out of wax. So I'm like a 20, 20 year old, 21 year old, what, 19, 20, I forgot. And like my face starts breaking out and I start getting acne. Again, not good for confidence. And like it lowers your bone density. It lowers your cardiovascular output. Like it, it was rough. You get all these aches and pains and you just feel like crap a lot of the time. I was on high doses of prednisone. High, high doses, by the way. And so I managed to overcome that. And from that experience... I was like, that's it. I'm done with soccer. I'm done. I wasn't into it last season. Now I got sick and I'm done. I'm, I'm, like, I'm done with it. And I told the coach, I was like, look, I'm done. I'm checked out. And over the next few years, it wasn't like I stopped drinking or partying. I still did that, that stuff. I still smoked like you wouldn't believe. I became a massive pothead. I just didn't want to face reality. I didn't want to deal with things that were difficult and that were tough. I just didn't. And it is something that I regret to this day, but if I didn't have that experience, I wouldn't be who I am. You have to, uh, you have to understand that there are learnings in, in every single journey that you have in life. And there were a lot of takeaways there. But... At the time when I recovered and I could start like leading my life normally. And by the way, I, st I had side effects from the prednisone for like years. But when I could kind of start, when I could start drinking again and living a normal life, I totally took, I took my health for granted again. It's not like I went and improved myself and started really being healthy and working hard. No, I didn't learn my lesson. Yeah, I, I toned it down a little bit, but I, I was still going at it. And by the way, the, the, the HSP, the Henok Shonlan Purpura, they don't really know what causes it, but they say that like heavy drinking and smoking, cold weather, all that stuff can contribute. And I'm 100% positive that that's the reason why it happened. So I um, end up graduating somehow. I took, I took my, my classes relatively seriously. It wasn't like I was a complete bum. I took my classes seriously. I hung out with my friends, we smoked, we blazed, I drank. Still not very confident. Still not know what I'm doing with my life. Still actually, the next few years, I started facing depression and anxiety. And the reason that I attribute to that is I had lost my identity. 
I was, prior to these last few years in college, I was an athlete. I was a, a soccer player. I was confident. I was good with women. I like I had girl, you know, I was seeing lots of girls in Dubai. I was a popular guy and and I go from that to now I'm it's not like I'm a loser or a loner, but I am I'm removing myself from every difficult situation that that presents itself in my life. And I'm just going into these very comfortable environments with like three, four friends that I feel very comfortable with and we're smoking and we're watching movies and just forgetting about the world out there. Uh, so yeah, it was, I definitely f faced the consequences in a big way. Um, I think before my, my, f my senior year, and I'm getting, you know, vulnerable now and opening up, but I remember this period before my senior year, it was a very weird thing that happened. I used to be a huge pothead and I was doing, uh, this is between my junior and senior year. I was doing summer classes with a bunch of friends and I had an assignment that I had to do. It was a paper. So I wrote the paper and and then after I finished, I was like, okay, done. My buddy's like, hey, let's go up to my place. Let's smoke a joint and let's play some FIFA. And I'm like, perfect, let's do it. So we go and we, we smoke a joint and we're playing FIFA. Literally during the game, this is the first time that this ever happened to me and it changed my world. I started having a panic attack. Like I, I didn't know what was happening. Like we're playing FIFA and all of a sudden I'm feeling this like, whoa, like what, what's going on here? And for those of you who've had panic attacks, it is a frightening experience. Like tunnel vision, like fight or flight, you start sweating. You don't know what anyone's saying to you, or and like you, you, like you feel like you're gonna die. You feel like you are going to die. It is one of the worst experiences that you can have. And so, like, I, I dropped my computer. I'm like to my friend, I'm like, I gotta go. He's like, dude, what's go what's going on? Are you okay? I'm like, I, I I don't know, I don't know. And essentially, I I just like walk outside and I start taking like deep breaths. And eventually, I I manage to calm myself down. And you know, they say ignorance is bliss. The second that you have an experience like that, you know that something like that exists. I didn't know what it was at the time. It was only upon reflection that I realized what it was. And smoking was never the same for me again. It was never the same. After that summer school, I went back with my family. I saw them and I didn't have any weed for a while. And I was like, okay, fine. You know, I kind of forgot about that last experience. I see my family, I come back to school, and I, I try smoking again, and the exact same thing happens to me. But now it's like, for some reason, I've like left my family, the comfort of my family, I'm now back with my friends, and I'm, and I'm smoking, and this time it's like, it's caused this, this waterfall of anxiety where for like a week or two weeks, I was I couldn't even be awake. I was having panic attacks all the time, anxiety all the time. And this lasted on and off for like a semester. For one semester, I was in, I was either extremely anxious or extremely depressed. 
And I was, again, going out and partying and trying to forget everything. And like going drunk and trying to talk to women and not really getting anywhere with any of them because I'm drunk and I don't, I don't have any real confidence. It's all just a facade. And that was, a, that was maybe one of the toughest moments in my life. So I had this sickness that happened years before that and now I'm having like this mental anguish. And the only thing that I could attribute all that mental anguish to was I have lost my identity. Because I'm shunning reality, I'm just smoking and drinking and I can't deal with rejection, I can't deal with adversity. Uh, I lost my identity over these, these four years, three and a half years since I've been in college. Um, so that was, you know, that was tough. And I managed to graduate on time somehow. And I moved to New York City. And at this point, when I was in, when I was in my last semester or second to last semester, I pretty much was like, I can't smoke anymore. I can't do it, which is one of the best things that ever happened to me because I now was facing reality. I was no longer just trying to run away from it. I stopped smoking weed because it was having a massive impact on my well-being. And from there, I graduated, I went to New York and got a job, started working at an advertising firm and was going out and kind of drinking and socializing and not smoking. And I started to like watch all these videos on like self-help and developing confidence. And if I'm being honest, like speaking to women and all this sort of stuff, how to become a more confident person and a happier person and going out and putting myself into these very uncomfortable situations where I was meeting people and I was, you know, like living in the world and not just like off my face all the time. Like maybe a few drinks, but not like 25 drinks. And I started to, you know, develop some traction and started to meet some women and started to like really develop a sense of confidence in myself and started to develop a very strong sense of my identity back, which was extremely empowering. And I then, you know, while I was in New York, I, I joined like a men's league. And we, I met a, an amazing group of guys, a lot of them who were playing collegiate soccer as well, playing at a high level. We had a good team. We played an 11 aside, a seven aside. I really started to get back into it and really found my love for that. I was playing two, three times a week and I, and I was back into that. It was amazing. I was rediscovering myself and my identity and out in the world and meeting people and enjoying myself. But the only issue, the only thing that I wasn't happy with now at this time, and this is what the human mind does, the human condition is like, it's always looking for what is wrong in life. It's never counting the wins and being grateful for what you have, but I was not fulfilled with my, with my job, with what I was doing work-wise. It just, it was something that I fell into. It wasn't something that I really wanted to do. I got to New York, I had a friend who was working at this company she got me an internship, which ended up turning into a role. And so essentially I, I wasn't happy with that. And what would happen was I would, I'm like, I had a great team. I had a great boss, a great, you know, everyone was great at this company that I was working at, but I, it was, 
it was boring. It was easy work. And I remember having some meetings there. And again, I remember in the middle of a meeting, there, there was nothing about this meeting that was high stakes. Nothing. It was just like a casual, like, like, oh, this is kind of some things that we need to look for in the future. Like there was no pressure in this meeting. And in the middle of the meeting, internally, I'm having a panic attack. Oh my God. Are you, why are you having a panic attack? I'm like freaking out inside. I'm trying to look like things are cool, but internally I'm freaking out. So I get, get up, I excuse myself, I go to the bathroom, I take some deep breaths, deep breaths, and I manage to calm myself down. And I go back and I'm fine. I get through the meeting. But I'm like reflecting on that. I'm like, what is that about? Why am I having a panic attack in this very low stakes situation? And I realized it's because I was not following my path. I was doing something that I was not passionate about. I didn't care about. I didn't want to do this. So I was like, okay, I need, I need to start figuring out what it is that I want to do. Because, hey, working in an office is not a, like, you're spending a lot of time there. 40 hours a week minimum. That's not including your commute to and from. You better, you better enjoy what it is that you do because you're spending a lot of time there. So I didn't make any rash decisions to go and like change up careers immediately, but I was still doing my thing, living my life. And I, I remember I was playing soccer like three times a week, but I wanted to do some strength and conditioning because I wanted to not only play well, but I wanted to look good. I wanted to be physically fit and strong and not only to improve my performance, but also to look good aesthetically if I'm talking about ego. And so I joined a kickboxing gym and I did this for eight months. And some days I would do kickboxing and you do these kickboxing workouts. And then some days I was, I was doing soccer. And by the way, kickboxing, if you are an aspiring player, if you are someone who's scared to be aggressive and physical, it's one of the best things that I recommend a young player do because it forces you to be physical. It strengthens your shins because you're kicking a bag. By having someone attack you, and by the way, no head work because you don't want to get this guy messed up. When you have someone attacking you and trying to strike you, you have a natural instinct to fight or to have a fight or flight response, a sympathetic uh, response. We want to calm that response. We're not used to having someone attack us in life. And it happens on the field too. Like we get nervous, we get fight or flight, we get anxious. To have someone who's actually trying to strike you, eventually what happens is you calm your central nervous system and you don't have as much of a reaction to that. So the kickboxing was actually having amazing transferability to my, my game on the pitch. I was becoming a more physical player. I was not intimidated. Um... I was, I was not, I was, in fact, I was probably overly confident on the field. Like I was looking, I was like ready to start a fight with someone, which is also not good by the way. But because I was a kickboxer now, I thought I could, you know, I could get involved a little bit. I don't recommend that again. So after about eight months, I kind of got sick of the kickboxing. I was always torn. Like, am I going to go play soccer? Or am I going to go to the gym? And then one day in, in one of these kickboxing classes, it's like you're doing bag work, you're doing burpees, you're doing push-ups, whatever. I had this epiphany. Imagine if instead of 
doing work on the bag. I could do work with the ball and then do the push-ups and the sit-ups and all this stuff and get fit and improve my game as well. Because now I was, I was, in that, I was back into the football world. I was playing three times a week. I had a great team. I was taking it seriously. We were, we were playing in competitive leagues. It, wasn't, it was amateur. It wasn't semi-pro or anything, but it was a good level we were playing against. And when I had this idea, this epiphany from doing the ball work, I was like, this is it. That's what I need to do. That is what I need to do. I need to become the person who is helping players, people improve their game and not and get in shape. And so I didn't do anything with that at the time, but I just kept ideating about it, thinking about what it could be. And initially my, my real thinking about it, my real reasoning was it was gonna be like a, a boot camp style workout for working adults, like exactly who I was at that time, exactly who I was. And so I realized that this is something that I need to do. I wanna, I wanna do something that I'm passionate about. So in 2016, I left New York City, which is where I was working all these years with all the, uh, the job that I had a panic attack in. I left New York and I moved to Dubai. And essentially I started this idea and I called it Fitball Factory. Fitball is a portmanteau for fitness and football. And by the way, I've seen a few copycats, people who are literally just ripping the name uh which is whatever it doesn't it doesn't matter at all but i went to dubai and, and i started this idea and i went to my old I, I went to my old school i spoke to the the campus rec director which who was my old track and field coach we had a great relationship we liked each other he liked me so he allowed me to use their facility and they have a state-of-the-art facility by the way to run my classes i wasn't charging anything but i was getting friends and acquaintances and I was like figuring out how I'm gonna make this work. And eventually that snowballed. I started renting out locations and it was like, okay, now I'm gonna charge people for this, see if people are gonna be willing to pay. And I started getting people coming in and it started off small and humble, but eventually it grew and it started to snowball. And now all of a sudden I have like a really good community. I'm getting like 30 people coming to a class and I have program i have a, i have workout programs i have music i have i have assistants working for me i have uh like a community an amazing community of you know these people this community that i built it was phenomenal and it was great i loved it however there were just some things about it that were not aligned with with who i was and really what i wanted in life the main thing being a lot of these people that were coming were, they were amateurs. They weren't, they, they never really even played at a high level. Uh, I had a few guys come through who were like, I had a few professional guys come through and semi-professional guys, but the vast majority were, were on the beginner novice side, if not intermediate at best. And so I loved the community that we built, but I wasn't fulfilled in the sense that these weren't people who really wanted to aspire to play to their highest level because I didn't say this about myself, but when I was training as a player and I was into it, I was very intense. Like when I was in high school and even when I was having my get, when I was on, when I was playing in university at Tufts, like I was an intense presence on the field. 
like demanding, um, aggressive, and like training hard and taking it very seriously. I wanted people who were coming at the game from that perspective. A lot of people were coming to the class because it was a workout and people want to be in shape and because it was a great community. But it wasn't speaking to what I really wanted, which was what I really wanted was to help people ascend to their highest level as players and not make the same mistakes that I made. I was on a path at one point where I had a, an Italian scout in Syria who was looking at me, who wanted me to come for a trial at a club in Italy. High level player with so much potential um, to just falling down the right path, not being able to deal with anxiety and depression and, the, and these parts of life. And that essentially hindered my progress and stopped me from fulfilling my potential as a player. And when I moved to New York and I started becoming more of an adult and working and this and that, I started to pick up meditation and self-help and started to really learn about how the mind works and all this sort of stuff. And eventually I, I pivoted fitball to become not just working with amateurs and people who are looking to get in shape, but also work with people who are playing at a high level, semi-professional, professional players. And while I was doing the classes, I was also training one-on-one -on -one semi-professional players, players who are aspiring to go pro. So I did have this little base of players that I, were work that I was working with, but it was all fitness and football. Like my ethos was fitness, football, focus on that, hard work, and then the rest is gonna happen. Fact of the matter is, that's not the case. This matters most, mindset matters most. And I came to that realization after, you know, I have a business here, right? So I'm trying to grow my business and I end up hiring a coach. Uh, a few months back, I end up hiring a coach who has worked with Olympic athletes for the last 15 years. And when he spoke to me, it all just made complete sense. The physical training, the ball work, the nutrition, the injury prevention, the recovery, the leadership, all of this stuff is, well, let, let's, let's not include leadership because leadership is an aspect of mindset, but all that stuff is extremely important, but it's all underpinned by a strong and powerful and cohesive mindset because we are gonna be faced with, with rejection, failure, loss in life in whatever it is that you do. You're gonna be faced with difficult situations as I was faced when I went to play in college or when I started working in New York and I'm doing a job that I don't necessarily like and I'm facing anxiety and depression. We're all gonna face that. But our mind's ability to interpret these as character building or to, or to visualize a better future for ourselves or as a player to, um, to believe in yourself and to be confident on, on the field and take setbacks as learning experiences to push yourself forward and not being emotionally uh, brought into combative situations on the field. Like I told you, I had that, that I was taking kickboxing and I thought that I was the man, I was macho man, and, and then now all of a sudden I'm, I'm looking for confrontations in games versus like sportsmanship, hey, good job, good tackle, trying to win the game. So 
The mindset matters most. And that's where I am now. I have the Fitball Academy. There's people in there who are crushing it. I have developed and worked on an incredible curriculum that I use, which has had mind-altering effects for me. Uh, I don't want to get into too much detail about what's happened. I've already gotten into so much detail about my personal life, but given what's going on in the pandemic, like there's been situations in my family where there's been health issues. There's been a lot of stress going on within my family. And through it all, I was speaking to my mother the, the other day. She's like, you have been phenomenally relaxed and in a positive spirit despite what's going on. She's like, what's, what are you doing? And I told her, I'm using this framework, the exact framework that I'm coaching people on to eliminate their limits, to fulfill their potential, not only as players, but also as human beings. Now, the, the mindset model that I work with was first developed and used for athletes, for Olympic athletes, but it's since been molded and is used to help people in their relationships or to deal with depression or to, 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 to run a business. I'm using it specifically for business and also to maintain my moods. But it's really effective as well for performance. It was actually made and created specifically for performance. And I have made little shifts and moderations. It's now called the Mindset Matters Most Framework and it's, I've added a few additions to make it very specific to football and soccer. And it's not just mindset. The Football Academy has everything. All these three, four years, what was that? Yeah three, four years of fitness and football training that I was doing, I learned a good deal about how to train people and about energy systems and about developing the, the requisite physiological adaptations to be a, a modern day player. Uh, and that's all in there. The programming, the injury prevention, the nutrition. Uh, and so I am a student of the game. This is my passion. This is my purpose. This is my calling. This is what I absolutely love doing. I love it. I'm blessed to do this. And I, and I realize every day that there are so many crossovers between sport and life. There's crossovers amongst anything you do in life. And I'm, it's interesting to see that play out for me where I'm like giving advice to a, like a student of mine or a player that I work with. And then I'm realizing that in my own life, I might not be applying that exact same advice that I give them. And if that's the case, I need to really take a good hard look at myself because I need to lead by example. I need to be a leader by example. And if I'm telling them to do one thing, I have to do that exact same thing. And that's what I hold myself accountable to. I always try to lead by example. Everything that I'm telling you to do, I do as well. I train like I'm, I'm, like I'm trying to be, become a professional. I do the long sprints. Because yeah, I wanna be in shape, but also I wanna test, does this work? Does this help me get faster? Does this help me improve? I do all the mindset work. I do all the journaling. I do all the meditation. So I wouldn't tell anyone to do something that I wouldn't do. And that's where I'm at, guys. This is where I'm at. You got the whole spiel. That's over an hour into this. Um, that was very much about me. Me, 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 me. But I feel like people need to know we all have stories. We all come from... Uh, a very specific set of life circumstances that are difficult in their own right. No one has it easy. Some have it easier than others, but to them, it becomes relative. To them, it becomes relative. 
So you just get it, you get a, you just got a very comprehensive view into my world and what being coach cam is like and what brought him to this very moment right now. All right. I think I'm going to end it there. This is episode one of the Fitball podcast with Cam. If you made it all the way through to the end, you are a rock star because this is a long podcast and there's a lot about me, but I think there were a lot of little nuggets in there that you can pick up on and you can use those for uh, for your daily life. Take learnings from them. Maybe you can relate to them. Not exactly sure, but that's it. We'll be doing a podcast now once a week. Uh, I don't know if it'll be this long. Maybe it'll be an hour. Maybe it'll be 30 minutes, 45 minutes. We'll see. But that's today's, not lecture, just today's story. Today was about story time. Okay. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for watching. If you made it to this point again. And as always, get involved.